Hi, friends. Welcome to Womankind. I'm here with my guest this week. I'm with Diana Matthews. She is the co-host of Beaver Talk. And so I, in a previous episode, I spoke with her co-host, Erin, but now we're going to hear the other side of the story. So hi, hey. Diana. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We uh, Before we went live, we were like, Gabby, and I feel like I'm just like a little bubbly energy <laughs> bubble. So this is great. Yeah. So we're gonna, I have a feeling we're going to go on some tangents today, but I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm known to do that for sure. So I'm so excited. Let's start out with hearing your story a little bit, where you come from, anything you want to add along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. So I am from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I now reside in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and there's kind of a long, windy, windy, twisty path uh, that led me from here to there. But basically, uh, born and raised Calgary, went to school there. Um, I moved out to Ottawa, Canada to do my master's of journalism, uh, which was one of the most intense and extreme tears. Anybody who's done J school knows that it's a total nightmare. And Or maybe you loved it. And oh, this wow. is totally my own thing. You never know. Um, I had a really hard time in journalism school in Ottawa, but uh, it led me to New York City. It led me to uh, Dream Girl, which was the project that I met Erin on. Um, and it led me to Beaver Talk, which is now uh, a project I work on um, alongside Erin. So that is the most condensed version of kind okay. of where I've been and uh, where I am now. Amazing. So you're actually my second Canadian I've had on the show. <laughs> Oh my gosh, honored. That's Previously, amazing. I had an author from Vancouver on, so it's nice to have my neighbors to the north, that connection there. Oh, I love <laughs> Vancouver. It's a fantastic city. It's a fantastic city. I haven't been there. I need to go. And I also, Calgary is on my list as well. It's fun. I feel like it gets such a bad rap because mm -hmm. it's like, it's a little bit, you know, conservative, mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, north, it's like northern Texas is what a lot of people describe oh, it as. Um, but it's fun. The proximity to the Rocky Mountains is yeah. uh, pretty deluxe and it's right by Banff. It's right by Lake Louise. So mm -hmm. highly recommend going out there. Nice. I mean, do you guys consider in Canada, do you consider yourselves to have like a Midwest like the United States does? A little bit. Um, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this <laughs> from Canadian people, but, uh, you know, we have like Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, which are like the prairie provinces. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, there's Ontario right next to it, which is where Toronto and Ottawa and the capital and everything is. So um, I would say Calgary, you know, Alberta is a little bit Midwesty, mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, it's more central in Canada, though, so it's not... Not the same location, the same. but the same idea, I guess you could totally, say. Totally, <laughs> totally, yeah. Same kind of ideals, same kind of vibe, we'll say. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, I mean, my listeners, if they listen to Erin's episode, know a little bit about Dream Girl, but talk about your experiences and how you got connected to Dream Girl. Absolutely. So I feel like the universe came together to bring me to dream girl. It was one of the craziest, most serendipitous moments of my life. I wow. was, as I mentioned out in Ottawa doing journalism school. Um, I was having a really hard time, just found myself to be a square peg in what was the round hole of the program mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, constantly forcing myself to go day in and day out. I was just really struggling. And I saw this call for interns literally on the bulletin board outside of like the career services lounge. 
um, on oh campus. Oh my gosh. And- okay, this is the second podcast episode in a row where someone's world has opened up from, but she was the poster. She put a post onto a bulletin board and then that was the beginning of her business. It's no joke. It's like seriously still such a thing, even in all the ways that we're so connected to each other through social media and obviously the internet and just all the different spaces we can come together now. There's something to be said for posters taped to nice. a lamppost, board, whatever it is. Um, that's hilarious. So yeah, I, I found a poster um, on the bulletin board that was like, do you, are you interested in women's empowerment? Do you like New York City? Are you interested in filmmaking? Uh, you know, here's a, here's an email address. Give us your submissions uh, last, you know, by November 30th kind of thing. Wow. Um, for Dream Girl, the documentary. And I had to like double check to make sure I wasn't hallucinating. Wow. At this point, I was so stressed out beyond <laughs> anything. And I was like, am I just like hallucinating opportunities now? Like, am I that desperate to get out of school? And it's like, this baby doesn't actually exist, but, um, it did. And it literally could have been like, do you want to do this, Diana? Like, is this, come on in. <laughs> May as well have had your name on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, the poster, as it turns out, was put up by a woman named Komal Minhas, who mm-hmm. was the producer on Dream Girl. Oh, wow. Okay. And she had gone to Carleton, um, for her undergrad in journalism mm-hmm. and was just, you know, retouching home base basically to pull, uh, pull some talent, pull some interns from the program. Um, and so I interviewed with her and then we were kind of in a back and forth for like months because <laughs> it was just her running her company and working alongside Aaron at that point. And, uh, I got the job to be mm-hmm. an intern with, uh, with Comedia, which was her company, um, as well as work on Dream Girl. So I was brought on to, as I'm sure Aaron uh, mentioned to you, we they self we self distributed the film because um, oh, yeah. it was found on Kickstarter. So I was brought on to work um, on the distribution team and kind of build out the screenings model mm-hmm. uh, alongside the team. So it was a dream come true. It was so exciting to be a part of such a meaningful project and just work alongside like-minded women who were dedicated to setting the world on fire. And uh, my background was at that point was in TV and documentary filmmaking. So okay. it was just, it, the stars literally aligned and it was just a super exciting opportunity. So um, yeah. So I came on for distribution and then they also uh, made me the associate producer of the oh, film eventually. So. That's amazing. So yeah, I was amazing. So what, I mean, it sounds like it was just like a perfect fit. Uh, what were the things that you found out as you were getting onto the project where you were like, wow, that's perfect for me. Wow, that's perfect for me. What were some of those things that jumped out at you? Um, so many at that time. <laughs> I had actually moved back to Calgary, so I was working remotely. Uh, Como was in Ottawa. Aaron was obviously in Brooklyn um, finishing up the film. So we just kind of kept having these conversations with one another where we didn't need to explain ourselves. Mm-hmm. It was like, we were just so on the same page oh, and all great. kind of, yeah, kind of had the same vision for what we wanted to do with the film, but also at a, you know, kind of a more day to day level, we had the same vision for how we wanted to uh, feel, how we wanted the documentary to feel when women watched it, how we wanted to work together, you know, we started to build up corporate culture because it wasn't just that we were making a documentary, it was that we wanted to work together and be in this as a business. So, so many of the conversations we had very early on were just 
easy Mm -hmm. and effortless. And when you're kind of working alongside people like that, it just, you just feel like you're clicking into alignment. It just feels like there's no resistance coming off of going to work every day or, you know, jumping on meetings, jumping on calls. You're just in your bliss kind of. Yeah. It's that old, uh, you know, cliche where it's like you don't notice the time because you're just working on the same goal and you're all so dedicated to making sure that it comes together. That's so really great. That's like, that's saying that I don't necessarily subscribe to entirely where it says if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hesitated to say like yeah. that exact thing because I'm just like, I'm like you, I'm just like, well, let's see if that's actually true. But I mean, I, um, of course, there are challenges and struggles in everything that you do, especially something that's such like a passion project. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like following all the bliss was just extremely hard work. You know, none of Definitely. us had sold a film before. None of like Aaron and uh, Komal hadn't made a film before. Right. We were all new to all of it, so there was so much to figure out. Um, so much logistically to uh, to make happen, mm-hmm. especially being you know across spanned across the continent from each other. Right. It was a lot of coordination every day. Um, and a lot of soul searching. It took a lot of uh, it took a lot for all of us to kind of figure out how we wanted to sell the film, why we were doing what we were doing, um, our plan for launch. You know, there's just so much <laughs> to figure out every day. So uh, the bliss was very much balanced by the challenges. Right, definitely. <laughs> so now, had you ever worked on a film or a documentary or anything previously? This was like your very first one. Yeah, this was the very first. I did um, I did a, a capstone project in my uh, journalism degree where I, I made my own documentary, mm. um, kind of as a thesis project. But uh, this was a totally different level. We had, right. you know, hired an all-female crew to help her produce the film. Um, she brought on angel investors. We were, you know, figuring out where we were going to premiere. We were figuring out where we were going to screen. So it was definitely um, a totally different ballpark and energy right. than I, anything I'd experienced. And of course, your premiere ended up being where? We premiered at the White House. <laughs> I <laughs> um, love that. <laughs> Obama's White House, which was uh, so surreal and just extremely exciting. And um, yeah, to have that be the first place where we showed the film was just yeah, I remember we all looked at each other like, yeah, before the event, we all looked at each other like, okay, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is happening. Is yeah, real. like, let's go for it. Um, and then so we funny. did a public screening uh, here in New York at the Paris mm-hmm. Theater for, uh, you know, 600 people came and walked the red carpet. And it was my parents came from Calgary. And it was just a really, really magical night. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, working with an all-female crew... What was that like? So I was actually brought on in post-production. So I hadn't worked with the female crew. Oh, okay. Um, That was something that Aaron was doing before I was hired on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I have met all the gals, obviously. Um, Mary Perino, who is the director of photography. She actually (laughs) photographed my wedding. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) We're obviously, we're still in touch. It's, it's, it's family. And I think that that's the incredible thing when women work together, there's such a, there's a bond that's created. And especially when you create something as 
um, special as dream girl was, I think that those bonds are just never going to be broken. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it really was an incredible team that Aaron put together and, and an incredible moment in all of our lives, uh, to go through that experience was, it was one of a kind. It was very cool. I mean, and the film is incredible. So if you haven't seen the film, go out and see the film. It's available online, I believe right now. Um, is it for a fee or is it now available streaming? It's just streaming on YouTube. You can search it's a dream comma girl film and uh, it's available for everyone for free and all to see. <laughs> and I don't know if you know this, but my project here, womankind is a branch off of me watching dream girl and being inspired. So yes. I didn't know that. yes, that is, I had been, I knew that I wanted to start a podcast, but I didn't know I couldn't decide on a topic or narrow in on a topic. I watched Dream Girl and I said, I want to give women a platform to speak from. And so thank you. (laughs) Oh, good. That's amazing. Oh, my God. Well, congratulations because Womankind is obviously fabulous. Well, thank you. uh, Thank you for being here. (laughs) Of course. That's so cool. So when did you see, when did you watch the film? I watched it a week after the 2016 election when Aaron put it free online and, you know, I was feeling how a lot of people were feeling at that time, and I just needed something. And so I saw the post on social media, I watched it, and it changed my life. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> now, here we are. Now almost two years later. Yeah, that's amazing. Very <laughs> cool. I did not know that. So that's super, that's super cool. I love that. Yeah, I told Aaron, it's like, I'm like meeting my heroes here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... I think that's the power of Dream Girl and and any project that is just focused on giving women a making women feel seen and heard and Absolutely. and you know celebrating everything that we have to bring to the table is that it brings like-minded women together and just creates spaces for us to connect. So your podcast is absolutely in keeping with that tradition. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we have a lot of the same goals here. Yeah. Speaking of that, let me look at my questions and see <laughs> what we've missed here. Licking the um. pen. <laughs> task at hand. Maybe let's move into talking about Beaver Talk then a little bit. Now that predates, or no, it doesn't. Um, how Beaver? How long has Beaver Talk been around? Well, it's a little bit of a long story. Okay. Well, guess <laughs> no, what? We're, we're here for those stories. Yeah, absolutely. So here's our first tangent, everybody. We're going off on it. No. Uh, All right, so everyone, buckle up. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like putting their hair in a top knot, like getting into it. Um, so Erin created Feminist Wednesday, which is her storytelling blog right. um, that she's been doing now for, I mean, at least four years, mm-hmm. at least four or five years. Um And with Feminist Wednesday, she created Beaver Talk as a podcast. Basically, she says, you know, just to rant about stuff that was bothering (laughs) her. Um, And she did it with her husband, Sal. So when she got busy with Dream Girl, she stopped having time to do Beaver Talk. Mm -hmm. And once we stopped being busy with Dream Girl um, and Beaver Talk had been on hiatus for a couple of years, uh, we talked about kind of revamping it as just a way to work together. We just wanted to hanging out and keep kind of sharing space. Um, 
And it was funny because when Aaron and I would come to work in the mornings, we'd spend a half an hour just talking about what we were watching, what we were listening to, the movies we had seen, um, and kind of having these conversations around, well, I didn't like how she was portrayed, or I'm really mm -hmm. frustrated with the way that the media is covering this, or it just kind of became <laughs> this ritual for us to like get all of our feminist energy out <laughs> in the morning so that we could actually have a productive right. day at work. Right. <laughs> So when we decided to revamp Beaver Talk, it was, like I said, just a way for us to hang out and mm -hmm. create something together again, but also a way for us to facilitate a space that women can come to and not have to explain why they feel the way they feel, mm -hmm. not have to feel like they need to be on defense. Um, and really Beaver Talk, uh, which is just a place where Aaron and I give unsolicited advice to Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> um, really Beaver Talk is just two gals gabbing about what they're watching and kind of our take on the media landscape and popular mm. culture. And why is that? I mean, I know the answer, but I just want to hear your answer. Um, why is that your focus for you and Aaron? Um, I think as creatives, you know, Aaron being a director and myself uh, having a little bit of background in producing and mm -hmm. uh, writing, I think we are just very invested and very in tune with championing women's stories, minority stories, LGBTQ stories, um, and challenging the status quo that has obviously shown its cracks in the last year in Hollywood. And uh, I think it's time for change. And I think that change happens when we start creating conversations and creating spaces um, for us to talk about new ideas, talk about new stories, perspectives we haven't thought of before. Um, and those conversations lead to opportunity and they mm -hmm. lead to movies that we've seen over the past year that are telling stories that aren't typically shown by Hollywood. So I think that Beaver Talk is important because it's talking about Hollywood, which I have a huge love for, and I know Aaron does too. Um, it's talking about Hollywood from a different perspective and, and championing the voices that are looking to change the industry. And that it's something that's so relatable. Every single person, you know, that's like the default conversation. What are you watching right now? What do you like? What are the characters like? Um, and it puts a spin on it. Like you said, looking at it from a different perspective, which we definitely need in those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, things like Time's Up and Me Too, they can feel like they can feel like that clickbaity hashtag um, social media culture. But I think the important thing to remember is those experiences and the uh, stories that have come out over the past year from women and men who have come forward telling their experiences um, aren't just this isn't just a moment. This is the movement. And this right. is the tide of change. And this will fundamentally change Hollywood, which is one of, you know, the most entrenched and rigid industries in the world. And I think we're at a really exciting time right now. I'm optimistic that there are so many incredible storytellers who are coming up and are, are having their work uh, championed in the mainstream, which Excellent. is really exciting. Can you think of any examples off the top of your head that you're excited for that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have seen this story a couple of years ago, but now it's out there? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think the work that Lena Waithe is doing. Mm -hmm. um, I just watched her episode that she wrote with Aziz Ansari on Master of None, yeah. and I know I know that like you know Aziz Ansari like 
had his issues and has his issues. But that episode is incredible. It's It's amazing. Yeah. Really showing a perspective of, you know, a person who identifies as a lesbian who is in the black community and they go, they talk about it very openly. They just go right for all of the issues that are within each of those communities and that when those communities collide. Um, And it's so interesting. And you don't see that. You don't see that on network TV. Never. No, I think that she really embodies that, that new, you know, I, I, I don't want to say young Hollywood, but that new wave of writers who are coming in, mm-hmm. who are telling those stories that we haven't seen before and given being given the platform and the voice to be able to share it again. Like that's a Netflix show and it was right. a huge hit. And so to show that um, storyline is so powerful. Um, because it's not like you're bringing people who are reluctant to watch it to the theater or to the TV. It's part of a show that's already loved. And I think that, you know, these are people's lived experiences. This is something that people go through every single day. And so the onus is on all of us as viewers and all of us as audience members to watch different stories and watch perspectives that aren't our lived reality every day and, and get into things that are are challenging and are exciting and are in the case of you know Lena Waithe's episode really really powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. it's so yeah. like heartbreaking and also like heartfelt. It, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And I also, I mean, I gotta give all the love to Reese Witherspoon, who has been my love since the Elwoods Legally Blonde days. <laughs> um, but she's doing incredible work right now. Uh, to champion women's voices and mm-hmm. to champion, um, you know, women-led stories through her company, Hello Sunshine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is somebody at the top of their game. She has been in the industry forever. Forever. And she's done, forever. Cool. She's done over 100 movies. Like, she's just, there's no need for her to now be sending the elevator back down, you know? Like, right. she could fully just keep, keep right. progressing into stu- superstar status. So... I think what I really, really respect and I'm inspired by, by Reese Witherspoon is just that she's using her platform and her voice to champion other people mm-hmm. and other women and other, uh, you know, women of color who aren't, who don't have the same opportunities as her. And right. uh, I think that's very cool. So she's one of those people, like I follow her on social media. I love her movies. I I feel like I'm friends with her. <laughs> I know, I know. She's my best friend, Reese. She just doesn't know it yet. I completely agree. Exactly. I'm like, I know everything about you. I'm just like, <laughs> do we know? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, she's another, also like acting wise, she's someone that I, for, I forget that it's her when I'm watching her in a role because she's so good. She's so good. She's, she just disappears into every role she does. Definitely. Oh, Reese. <laughs> can't, so, can't talk about Hollywood without Reese. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what's a recent episode of Beaver Talk that really sticks out in your mind as one that you really enjoyed talking, the topic that you really enjoyed talking about? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, um, we had the producers of HBO's Random Acts of Flyness on. Oh, nice. Uh, Kishori and Kelly. And they were incredible to talk to um about that show which is I don't know if you've seen it I haven't seen it yet no it's it's very it's a stream of consciousness show that examines uh what it means to be in America right now especially as a minority um and specifically with the African-American community 
And the conversation we had was so insightful. Those two women just are are absolute trailblazers in the industry and their insights on what it was like to be in the writer's room, um, how thoughtfully they put together the show and the editing process, um, as well as the reactions that the show has been getting since its release. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really surprising and, and other parts of it were kind of heartbreaking. And, and it's a conversation that I was a little bit nervous heading into because that show um you know, made me examine my subconscious biases and made me examine my own privilege. And that's the power of it is it just kind of makes everybody uh, put the mirror up to themselves. So that's a conversation that I really enjoyed having. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, some of the the most challenging conversations are end up being the best conversation because that leads to growth. Yeah. Yeah. And those, uh, those two ladies are just so in so viscerally intelligent and so such profound artists that Mm -hmm. uh, hearing them talk about their work and hearing them talk about their intentions behind how they put the show together is just Mm -hmm. incredible to hear. Amazing. Is that, that's on HBO? Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't seen it. did the episode in the beginning of October. Oh, okay. Cool. Great. Um, now, do you think this is a question that I have about my own podcast that I don't really have an answer for? Do you have what's your male listener ratio? Do you think you have a lot of male listeners? Um, I don't, but I know a lot of men in my life who have listened to Beaver Talk. Okay. Um, I'm not sure how. I mean, I'm sure just by virtue of it being attached to Feminist Wednesday and and our focus on feminist content. There are a lot more female listeners, but my husband listens to like mm-hmm. all of the episodes, which is hilarious. And uh, I know Sal, who's Aaron's husband, also has tuned in. But I've had friends from back home and a couple of guys that I went to college with, you know, message me and be like, you're completely wrong about this movie. Or like, <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, I'm really excited for that TV show, too. And like, it's just like, are you listening to this? Like, sorry, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's exciting. I think that, you know. Aaron and I obviously create the podcast for women. We right. want our primary focus. We're unapologetic about that. Our primary right. fo- focus is bringing uh, women to a space where they can just feel like they're chatting with their girlfriends over coffee. Um, but it's really exciting to me that men are joining these conversations or at least are listening to these conversations and uh, feel that they identify with pieces of it because mm-hmm. that's that's so important too. Right. And it's just... I guess I just think about it not that much because as you said with my I mean my podcast is called Womankind obviously it's a platform for women it's for women by women but at the same time I feel a little like shortchanged because you know growing up we were forced to hear mostly stories about men and Mm -hmm. I'm wondering when that's going to happen for them. <laughs> I, I don't, totally. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like we should, that should be the standard. That's a great point. <laughs> and I think that like, that's something, that's a challenge that I still face. Uh, you know, people, whether it's my husband's friends or my own friends are like, Oh yeah. Like Diana runs a podcast where they give feminist advice to Hollywood. Ha ha ha. And mm. it's kind of this, like they're interested in it. Cause it's like right. a cool thing you know, it's a cool thing to do to run a podcast. (laughs) It's just fun to know people are creating stuff. But um, I think that they should listen to it. And I think that 
they should have to identify with female protagonists and they should have to sit through a movie where maybe the female lead isn't likable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, we've all had to identify with the male protagonists our entire lives and hear men's stories. And so I think that's part of the shift that I would love to see start to happen. Right. um, It doesn't have to be like negative. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think I, I completely agree with you. That's a great point. Yeah, just hearing more perspectives. And, yeah. you know, we always were like, in reading all the things that I read, like in high school and college, a, a lot by male authors, and mm-hmm. seeing movies that are produced by men. It's, I can relate a lot of mm-hmm. the time, maybe not fully. And so I mean, that translation goes both ways. I hope. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think women having to identify with men's realities or men's narratives is the default. And I think it's a much more, um, it feels much more, there's more resistance to uh, men identifying with women. Right. um, Because they haven't had to. Right. And I think that if there's any place where that change could happen, where it's kind of not forced, but just... um, you know, becomes the only stories that are being told. It's Hollywood that can right. put these things through. Right. And I think this is a struggle that, you know, feminists face and women who are interested in uh, empowerment and equality and all those different conversations is that women's rights, LGBTQ rights, minority rights are still seen as fringe. Right. And still seen as special interests or still, right. you know, still seen as, not the dominant. Right. And that's just unacceptable. That's not, that is no longer our reality. That is no longer, you know, the place from which we should be having the conversations. So I do think that there is this inherent bias when men come to conversations about women is that like, they just don't know. Right. And they don't know what it feels like that our experiences are. And so the onus is on them to not only engage in those conversations, but listen right listen to women that is listen the key. To, yeah that is the key <laughs> and men aren't told to listen right they're told to take up space they're told that their opinion matters that their experience is the dominant the status mm-hmm. quo and and i mm-hmm. think that that par- that narrative is starting to shift mm-hmm. and i mean that just raises another point. Like we, as women, we have developed that skill to be able to empathize from being forced into that position. But like, imagine what the world would be like if everyone had that skill. It would be pretty amazing. Yeah. The capacity to listen to one another, to know that just because that's your reality doesn't mean that it's everybody's reality. You know, this it's, it's when you're kind of been in this space for a while, these feel like very basic conversations, but they're not. (laughs) Right. And so many people, um, so many people, women and men alike, uh, need to know that, yes, your story is important. Yes, your experience has value. But listening to one another and listening to voices that don't always get to be heard and aren't always given the opportunity to share is extremely important. Definitely. That was a good tangent. I liked that. <laughs> I, loved, I love a good tangent. <laughs> So anything else about Beaver Talk that you want to add before we get into um, some more personal things about you? No, I think that um, it's it's just a podcast that Aaron and I wanted to create to kind of examine all of the glorious aspects of Hollywood, all mm-hmm. of the misogynistic aspects of popular culture, um, 
you know, her and I are completely pop culture junkies. Mm -hmm. We love celebrating it as much as we love trashing it. (laughs) um, It's everything from the Oscars to the Real Housewives. Mm -hmm. And we really run the gambit on it. So it's a lot of fun. Nice. So tell my listeners two things, where they can find Dream Girl and also where they can find Beaver Talk. Yeah, so you can find Dream Girl at Dream Girl Film, and that's across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all over the place, as well as on YouTube. The full movie is now uh, streaming for free and for all to see. Um, and you can find Beaver Talk uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts, or you can follow uh, Feminist Wednesday on Instagram, and we post all the episodes there as well. Excellent. So make sure you check both of those things out. And now we're going to find out a little bit more here about what Diana thinks of womanhood. So my question that I ask all my guests is what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2018? I think this is a, it's a great question because I think you'd get a gajillion different answers. Mm-hmm. It's from so it's everybody. purposefully very broad. <laughs> yeah. But more so than that, I think, it's a conversation that is really being had between women right now in a very public and heated way every day in the media. Absolutely. I think to be a woman in 2018 for me means to lead with compassion, um, to lead with authenticity and to listen to experiences that aren't my own. I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that, you know, as a Canadian who moved to the United States in 2016. Oh, boy. (laughs) It's been an interesting two years of just seeing, you know, I identify as feminist, I recognize so many women don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is value in talking to one another and in listening to one another. And, you know, we're, we're really here to create connections and to support and uplift one another. And that's all anybody wants to feel is supported in their work. It's not Mm -hmm. honest to convince people. It's not honest to support bigotry, racism, hatred, sexism, all of those different things. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for like-minded people, it's a very intense time. And I Mm -hmm. think the more we can be compassionate with one another um, and the more we can, we as women can continue important conversations and continue to engage with our communities, um, which is something we're inherently very good at. Look um, at that. <laughs> the skills coming that. in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it now is the time. And mm-hmm. I think that our sisterhood, we need to be relying on it as much as we need to be building it up. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And now we're going to, I have a, a pop culture thing to dish about. This is like your real house here. So someone who I think is doing a great job of what you described is Sarah Silverman. Um, Her show on Hulu, I Love You America, is, you know, her trying to talk about difficult things and trying to bridge the gap between who she is and where she comes from and with people that she really doesn't understand and hasn't interacted with. And so Mm -hmm. she's been traveling to, you know, she's you know, from New York City. I don't know if she's from New York City, but lives in New York City area, um, is Jewish and um, is white and is part of Hollywood and a comedian. So she has all of these things that are part of her identity. And so she's been traveling to like parts of the United States where she has never been talking to people who have different political views from her. And 
it's really interesting. And then she still maintains some levity with it, obviously, like infusing humor into it. But I mean, it's so raw. I see her, I saw her, you know, there's an episode where she talks about Louis C.K., who is someone who's her friend. And she's really kind of brutally honest about and, and then asks the question, how can you love someone who has done wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like coming at it in such like a personal raw way I think is a very and especially using her platform kind of like we talked about with Reese Witherspoon using that as a vehicle to have these conversations and make these connections I think is really important yeah absolutely I think that um you know there's this we talk about this a little bit on Beaver Talk too there's this tendency sometimes when things are as political as they are now things are as you know it's almost it's almost tribalism what we have happening right now um there's this tendency to kind of lead with anger and Mm -hmm. lead with uh if you're not with us you're against us Mm -hmm. and that the fact of the matter is especially for women who have done so much work in their communities um to create those connections and create those spaces for us to connect with one another it's going to do such a huge disservice to all of the work feminism has done um, up until this point. Mm -hmm. And so I think that bridging the gap and creating spaces to kind of be in the gray and allowing people to maybe not know how they feel about things, you know, Sarah Silverman saying, how do I love someone who has hurt people? Um, I think the more we can allow our fellow sisters to grapple with feminist ideas and, you know, understanding that they are supporting, you know, all of the important tenants that uh, are inclusive and, and moving towards equality. I think that we should allow more space for women to kind of think about ideas, think about feminist ideas and, and have conversations that aren't coming from a defensive place all the mm-hmm. time. Um, and I think that I know a lot of women I've spoken to in my friend group, even close friends who feel really threatened and really mm-hmm. scared to kind of express the way that they're feeling. Um, and that's a disservice to to furthering conversations and to ultimately getting this country, the world to a better place. Right. Um, because we need we need what women have to offer to Definitely. heal and to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, having those conversations, no matter who you are, is difficult, especially with someone who has any different view as you. Even, I mean, within the feminist movement, there are so many branches and so many different perspectives. And um, that can be really hard to take in. Even people that have like similar views to me, that can be tough. Absolutely. And I mean, the work that women of color have been doing for decades and decades and decades and um you know what a lot of white women white women have been doing over the past couple years especially during the election is just so hard to watch and it's so disheartening and and I think that especially around the women's march there is such a frustration from women of color you know kind of just being like well why are we here in the first place Mm -hmm. is kind of the idea and I think that um it is frustrating. And I think those conversations absolutely do need to happen. And I think this is where compassion circles back to and us not cannibalizing our own mm-hmm. yeah. us coming together and choosing, choosing the greater goal over the frustrations that are very mm-hmm. real, but are, can be destructive mm-hmm. if they're not managed. Absolutely. Giving a little room to make 
some mistakes, a little room, a little grace to maybe say the wrong thing and figure it out. And yeah, I don't see a lot of that happening, but it's hard. (laughs) No, I think, I think we are in, um, a very, very heated time Mm -hmm. and it will, I do. I mean, I'm optimistic. I do believe Mm -hmm. that, you know, the pendulum does swing back, you know, Mm -hmm. it's two steps forward, one step back, but it is progress. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that we need to not lose our hope. We need to not lose our optimism. Um, and we need to listen to the women who are doing the work in their communities, not just the famous women in Hollywood, but women in cities, in communities, volunteering, helping with elections, Mm -hmm. women who are running for office, um, we need to support them because Mm -hmm. they are doing the work. And uh, if you feel lost or you feel like you're kind of not sure where to jump Mm -hmm. (laughs) in where we are right now, I think that those women are the leaders we can look to. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now, do you think that your definition of what it means to be a woman is the same thing as like the general definition? Or do you think there are some like if there were a definition in the dictionary of what it meant to be a woman, do you think yours would be aligned with that or would it be different? Um, I think it would be a part of it. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, all the women I know are compassionate and authentic Mm -hmm. and, you know, lead with integrity. And I think that that's very central. I think that's called upon us, Mm -hmm. um, by virtue of the fact that our experiences are not the mainstream. Right. And I think that we, discover compassion by connecting with one another and we lead with authenticity by you know being encouraged to be ourselves and I think that those are all experiences that women share and Mm -hmm. women uh have as as true to their true to their identity Mm -hmm. excellent now favorite parts of being a woman and least favorite parts of being a woman oh my gosh my favorite part of being a woman is um Oh, that's a great question. And I feel like I just repeated it back to you without having part <laughs> no, of the sentence. Um, my favorite part about being a woman is other women. I love connecting and I love um, my favorite part about growing up as a girl, you know, I was a super girly girl and I, I loved it. And um, I think that my female friendships and my mom and just all of the women in my life have really made me who I am. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so cool how we as women kind of are sponges to all of the feminist and female energy around us. And, you know, men definitely have this experience too, but I think there's something very special about the way that women um, really hold on to one another and Mm -hmm. really kind of embrace their womanhood through uh, their relationships, through their experience, through their creativity. Um, so I think that's my favorite part about being a woman. I feel I've had this idea in the works. I might need to do a special episode just about that because that answer, and I'm not kidding you, has been almost literally every single guest. This is my 39th episode and almost every single guest has had that answer. That female friendship and the way that we talk to each other and the way we connect with each other is their favorite thing. So I need to get on that somehow. I'm such an original. I'm such an original. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> well, no, no but that it makes is. it that makes it like even more special that so yeah. many people feel that same way. That means that we really have something incredible here. Yeah, I think the bonds that the bonds of the sisterhood, I think are mm-hmm. are so 
so lovely and so special and um, definitely something to to chat further about. I would love to hear that episode. Yes. I have to do some some research. I mean, I know, I know I've like lived my life and that's part of the research and I have my friends, but I feel like, yeah, I feel like we should talk about that more and why that is something that so many of us love so much. Yeah, I think that um, you don't need to do research. I think you could do this episode <laughs> right after this episode. And I think that it would be amazing. So I say go into it wholeheartedly. <laughs> okay, so now after that lovely moment we've just had, now I want to hear your least favorite parts. Oh, man. Um, my least favorite part about being a woman or my least favorite part about what women face. Okay, that's um, okay. I like that phrasing better than my phrasing. is that we continue to be underestimated and we continue to face a lot of double standards that I think are starting to come to the surface, but are still subconscious in the culture. Um, And I think especially for young women and girls who are growing up and and trying to figure out who they want to be, what they want to be, what they believe in, all of these things, they are simply not given the same freedom and empowerment that boys are given. And that enrages me. (laughs) It it upsets me that we still raise boys and girls differently Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of what opportunities are available, what jobs you should take, um, what you're able to achieve in this life, what you're able to give back to others. We, We fundamentally tell different stories to boys and girls. I I mean, as an educator and someone that works with young women, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They, they can think that they are so free and they have every opportunity in the world. And I love that they have that attitude, but they don't know what's coming. (laughs) Like, and it's hard because you know, I want to explain it to them. I want them to understand. Um, but when you're that age, you're, you're not able to see the systems. You're not able to see the cultural things that are upheld. Um, and this isn't everyone, but I guess in my experience with, you know, the demographic of students that I work with, they are so free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How old, uh, how high, old are the students? High school students. Oh, wow. And they're mm-hmm. still so optimistic Mm -hmm. and excited that's amazing (laughs) that's very cool and Mm -hmm. I think that I mean I love that I love that Mm -hmm. girls are like no you you can't tell me that I'm not gonna do what I want to do I'm gonna achieve my dreams I think that that's amazing and I think women who hold on to that through adulthood and through their career um you know Diane von Furstenberg comes to mind because Mm -hmm. she's always quoted as just being like yeah I didn't ever think that I couldn't do what I wanted to do right right um very cool. I love it. I think that that's so inspiring. Um, but I think that it's not always the main, it's not always the main right, experience. It's definitely not. No. And, uh, and I think that in keeping with that, what I mentioned earlier about the way that our interests and the way that women's rights are still treated as fringe and special interest, right. especially for minority, you know, women of color, LGBTQ community. I think that that, is heartbreaking and completely unacceptable in 2018. And um, I think my, my least favorite part of the struggles that women face is just that we continue to have to struggle to be seen as equal Mm -hmm. um, in the eyes of men and in the dominant community, which is extremely unfortunate. Mm -hmm. 
No, it's, I mean, it's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah, uh, not extremely unfortunate. It is enraging. <laughs> <laughs> it is enraging. So this, your answer for this next question might be just the same thing. Um, is there anything that you think the world, and you can interpret that how you'd like, that the world doesn't know about women that it should? I think just how capable we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that our experiences are not only to be believed, but they're to be considered, uplifted, and and honored. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is something, you know, we're seeing in the news over the past two years, but, but longer than that. This has yeah. always been part of our culture um, of not believing women and not empowering them to really... Uh, to really embody their experiences. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that I want the world to know Mm -hmm. is how important women's experiences are, how they are just as valid as Mm -hmm. men's experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we're going to create equality, we're going to have to create space. Mm -hmm. And that means men are going to have to have less in order for everybody to have more. Mm -hmm. And, it, and I don't mean less in the sense of unequal or, um, you know, women are going to inherit the earth as they do in Jurassic Park. But <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I mean, in the sense of everybody needs to, uh, and women especially, need to be given opportunities to be in power. We need right. to be recognized um, in the fullness of our humanity and in the fullness of our complexities. Definitely. And I think the world needs to recognize that and value it. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to ask you before we started the episode, do you have a story of subversion of a subversive woman? Ooh. In my own life? Um, it can be in your own life. It can be someone famous. It can be someone in history. Um, like I, I plan to talk about um, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Um, but I, I'm going to just mention her. I'm not, I don't know. We can get into it if you want, but I, I just, I haven't been recording like as it's been going on, but I feel like I would be, I have to mention her. Like I have to. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I mean, a woman who inspires me and continues to inspire me every single day is Gloria Steinem. Mm -hmm. She is really what put me, I had always, uh, I had always been interested in, women's empowerment. I wouldn't even mm-hmm. have, ca- have called it feminism, you know, right. when I was in middle school or high school. But now, was I, that like out of fear or just? No, just, I think I just didn't have the didn't, language, did not have the vocabulary yeah. for it. I think I was just angry about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I was um, interested in a lot of women's stories. And I found a lot of inspiration from women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it took going to university and I actually met Gloria Steinem oh, right amazing. before I went to yeah, right before I went to grad school. And she talked about all of the incredible ideas that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said to, I was at a YWCA event and she was the keynote speaker. And she said, uh, you know, you can't be feminist and be sexist. You can't be feminist and be racist. You can't be feminist and be ageist. You can't, you cannot be discriminatory, bigoted, prejudiced and be mm-hmm. a feminist. And I think that that, is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, just around conversations about women, you know, who, who use the buzzword feminist or people who misunderstand the word feminist mm-hmm. or, you know, just how that word continues to be so contentious within the culture. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I met her and I told, I just said to her really quickly, like, thank you for everything that you've done. You know, mm-hmm. Gloria, I'm a huge fan. I love, I love you. I love your work. And she said to me, your generation has done more for women than my generation ever did. What? And I mean, I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm like finished, but absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> um, but I think in her saying that to me, it just imparted such a responsibility onto me wow. that I felt so deeply That's to crazy. live up to that. Yeah. To and make Gloria proud. And she must think, know that. That's why she said that to get yeah, you fired oh, totally. up. Gloria, Gloria is a ninja and yeah. she knows exactly what she's doing. Um, because so, I feel like, and I'm, I'm not naysaying her, but I feel like I've been allowed complacency in a lot of ways because of the work of her generation um absolutely so absolutely that (laughs) oh my gosh her book my life on the road um (laughs) just like is it's so good incredible memoir the part that really stuck out to me the most which is like so strange was the part about the female truck drivers yeah that was she talks about how um, she was interviewing like women at like truck stops and things like that and like how it was such a dangerous place. And I think it, I don't remember if it was like the seventies or eighties, but you know, women had to really protect themselves and there were just like so few that were part of this profession. And that was like an ultimate boys club, but that, I, that really stuck with me for some reason, that particular <laughs> situation. Absolutely. And she also talks about interviewing the, um, the wife of the guy who was in like the motorcycle group. Right. Yeah. And she was like super nervous cause these guys looked super tough mm-hmm. and like they were at, um, a gas station. They were all just kind mm-hmm. of filling up and Gloria was on her way back out and they were coming in. And she was nervous about it because she just said, you know, they looked kind of sketchy and mm-hmm. she wasn't too excited about interacting with them. And the woman came up to her and said, like, she said something like, you're incredible. Like, thank you for right, what you're doing. Right. Or something like she was just so generous to her. Mm-hmm. And Gloria Steinem talks all the time about not judging a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, you know, it's something that we learn in elementary school, but... Mm-hmm. Like um, how often really do we practice about, that, you know? How often do we practice it? Mm-hmm. And how often, again, coming back to the conversations that we need to start leading with compassion, how often do we let people who look different from us, who think differently than us, it just really showcased, I think that story really showcases how we shouldn't prejudge one another mm-hmm. before giving somebody a chance to um, come to the table and just engage in a conversation. It's really... Mm-hmm. It's a really cool story. That book is amazing. Mm-hmm. It is. It's so good. We have a lot of recommendations for my listeners during this I episode. Know. Everyone <laughs> needs to listen to Gloria Steinem's My Life on the Road. Everyone <laughs> needs to read it. Everyone needs to do it. It's so good. <laughs> it is so good. And I, um, I mean, I didn't really grow up knowing about her. I didn't really know about her until my 20s. And so um, yeah. reading that book was really like revealing to me I got to learn a lot more about her life that I didn't really know like I knew she was a feminist icon but I didn't know you know the beginnings and some of the paths that she had been down so yeah yeah it's really her origin story puts into context Mm -hmm. conversations that are still so relevant today Mm -hmm. um maybe even more relevant given everything that's been happening but uh yeah I also didn't know about her till I was in you know around 21 yeah and she she's everything I love Mm -hmm. Gloria yeah, shout out to Gloria. 
<laughs> Maybe she'll be a guest on our podcast someday. <laughs> I mean, bless. May we be so lucky. <laughs> we'll put that out into the universe right now. Did you want to share any women who you admire or any stories of subversion that you can think of? I think that, oh my gosh, I admire women in general. Yeah. I think that that's a terrible answer, but I think um, a woman I admire, um, Tam- Tamara, Tamara Burke, who has led the, she founded the Me Too hashtag mm-hmm. and she, um, she is an incredible person. And I'm really inspired by her because she has such a beautiful way of talking about the movement in an inclusive way. Mm-hmm. And she's very thoughtful about, um, you know, not leading in defensiveness, not leading with, uh, you know, kind of the anger that some other, some other leaders have been coming into it with, but she is really just one of the most compassionate people I think I have come across mm-hmm. in this movement. Um, So I'm really inspired by her. And I think that she's doing amazing, amazing things for women, men, um, everybody, everybody who is a survivor and uh, who deserves to be to be loved through this experience. Um, Other women I admire. It's a great question. I think another woman I have got to. I have got to shout out to is Ava DuVernay, <laughs> who I forgot to mention earlier in the Lean Away Free Spoon conversation, but I am obsessed with Ava. Mm-hmm. I love her. Her work ethic is so inspiring to me, and the vision that she has for her work is so inspiring to me. She directed A Wrinkle in Time earlier this mm-hmm. year. She directed Selma. Um, she directed The 13th, mm-hmm. and I had a chance to see her speak on International Women's Day and I actually went with Erin mm-hmm. and uh, I was just blown away. I was a huge fan before I went into the event and I feel like I was like levitating by oh the end gosh, of it. Oh my gosh, awesome. exceptional. Mm-hmm. She is setting the world on fire and I think if you want to listen to someone who, um, you know, has a creative vision for the future and is so, such a champion of diversity and inclusivity of voices definitely check out any and all interviews Ava DuVernay has done I will have to check that out I do I'm familiar with her like I knew that those projects had been directed by a woman and and she is um an African-American woman right correct I've I've seen her um but yeah I didn't I haven't like looked into much about her beyond that um and I still haven't seen a wrinkle in time I need to see that Yes, you do. She also, like, didn't pick up, she did not pick up a, like, film camera until mm-hmm. she was well into her 30s. Oh, really? And so she is just, like, before she was a director, she did PR for movies. She's worked in distribution, but she never, she was never a director. Mm-hmm. So she's also a really inspiring story about just, like, it's never too late. Mm-hmm. And, like, just because you haven't done it today doesn't mean you can't do it ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, start with where you are, start with what you have, but just get going basically is what her, that's awesome. What she really embodies. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) So now we'll get into my final segment, which is stories of subversion. Um, and so do you have one that you can think of? A story of subversion. So this is like a woman, a woman who's been subversive in some way, which I would argue that every woman has been subversive in some way. (laughs) 
Yes, I would agree with that as well. Maybe I feel just like- by existing, sometimes yeah. we are being subversive. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I feel like the minute I get off this podcast, I'm going to kick myself because I'm going to be able to think of a million um, stories of subversion. Oh my gosh. I mean, we can talk about mine if that, and you can yeah, help, you you can go, help you me. Okay. Yeah, you go first. And I, I want to hear yours first. I'm excited. I mean, my Usually I do a bit of research and kind of like give a backstory and everything, but I just, I feel like everyone, this is on everyone's mind, the woman that I'm going to talk about, and um, it's Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who a couple weeks ago, I don't even know, I have no sense of time with this anymore, I just feel like we've all been in it for so long, um, she bravely went in front of um, the committee that was deciding whether or not to convert, confirm um our now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, and she shared her story of sexual assaults from the time that she experienced when she was 15 years old um, from Brett Kavanaugh. And it just, it's, I know that it's hard for people to listen to, and it's brought up a lot of things for people who are survivors. Um, but I just think that was such a brave thing to do. She totally uprooted her life and to the point where she has had to move out of her house because of getting death threats. And I think still to this day, like weeks later, she still is not able to go back to living her life normally. And I've just heard so many things from so many people over the past couple of weeks of who believes her and who doesn't and all this back and forth. Um, there's no reason not to believe a woman is just my statement about that. Um, but I just feel like I w- it would be remiss of me to not mention her as someone who was being subversive um, and speaking up and telling her story um, despite the consequences that she knew. I mean, she knew what was going to happen to her in this situation and still decided to move forward um, as a way to hopefully move forward and changing the conversation, hopefully change something. And I know that it didn't prevent Brett Kavanaugh from being put onto the Supreme Court ultimately. Um, And I have a feeling that maybe she knew that was going to happen as well, uh, as many of us did, but still coming forward was a very subversive act. So I do have to highlight that. Absolutely. Um, It was so devastating to watch her yeah give it wasn't she, you know she wasn't on trial but she she right. testified right. and um I think that I, I just remember <laughs> I remember sitting with my husband after that she testified Brett Kavanaugh testified and he just said like you know what's up like you seem a little stressed and I was just I like women across the country mm-hmm. my friends were texting me like we're just drained yeah everyone is just maxed out we were all feeling it like uh, yeah. oh yeah um and just feeling so so heartbroken and so angry mm-hmm. for this woman who like you said completely uprooted her life dug deep. I don't even know where she, I don't even mm-hmm. know the place that she was able to connect with to come forward in that way. Um, her bravery was just beyond inspiring. I just wish I could have hugged her, sat with her, held her hand. Um, it was truly something else to watch, to see her. And I know, as you mentioned, I, well, it, you know, he was confirmed to the Supreme court and 
and that part of history has happened, there are women are watching mm-hmm. and there are girls watching mm-hmm. and there are young women who are watching. And I know for a fact that the future female president of the United States was watching. Absolutely. And I know, I know that there are women who cannot go back now. You know, that was a watershed moment for women who are looking to change the way that we are respected, valued in the society, women who are looking to abolish uh, patriarchy. Um, We are watching and it, she is such a powerful, compassionate, lovely person. And I think what the patriarchy dislikes about a person like Christine Blasey Ford is that she's not yelling. Right. She's composed. She's not hysterical. She is composed and speaking her truth against all odds. She's not doing this for anything. She gains absolutely nothing by coming forward. Mm -hmm. Um, As, as you said, there is absolutely nothing to be gained by coming Mm -hmm. forward. um, If you are a survivor of sexual assault or sexual harassment. Right. And that, I mean, that's just like a bottom line. It's, it's painful. It's horrible. And that's our default story in our culture is that women lie. Women make things up. Women are after money. Women are after fame. They're trying to get something. And I mean, I think that that kind of has originated around like sports culture in a way, because I feel like I hear that the most about women who have accused um, sports players of sexual assault or rape. Um, But that's hopefully we've seen a cultural shift where that script hopefully is starting. It hasn't changed obviously, but hopefully it's starting to change. Yeah. I saw this, I saw this tweet that came out uh, after Bill Cosby was um, found guilty and it said, you know, you can name Bill Cosby, you can name what he's famous for, you can name his career, you can name all these mm-hmm. different aspects about who he is. Can you even name a single one of the 50 plus women who came forward against him? And, it, you know, they're just saying, like, you do not get famous, mm-hmm. you do not get notoriety, you do not get any kind of recognition for doing this you get why you do it you get death threats you lose your job you are ridiculed publicly you are (laughs) re-traumatized like yeah those are the things that you get yeah and I think that that's something that um I've talked about with a lot of my friends is just the Mm re-traumatization that this past year and this past couple of years have really been for them. And Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that I think as a community, we're going to have to start figuring out ways to not only have these conversations and support women like Dr. Ford when they come forward, um, but also make sure that survivors are feeling supported Mm -hmm. um, in their healing process as well. Absolutely. It's very intense. I mean, our culture is maybe not is starting to, but maybe not also ready to accept the number of victims that are out there. And that's why, you know, people have been dismissed and not believed is because it, it truly is unbelievable how many people this has happened to. It's shocking. Yeah. And I think we want to believe that, you know, there's this whole thing about like, okay, so now that this has happened, like now what, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the move? And it's like, 
the fact that nobody has faced any consequences. Right. None of these men who have been accused have served any time in prison. They haven't even been arrested, most of them. Right. Um, it's on the women to come forward if they want to press charges. You know, like, there's just so much that's right. put on women to constantly seek justice, to mm-hmm. seek closure, to seek healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we fail women fundamentally yeah, and, and especially women of color who are even more marginalized in their experiences um, to really find a platform in mainstream media, it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking to see a guy like Harvey Weinstein, who, yes, has been arrested, but... Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, it's just, of all the men who have, you know, faced accusations over the past year, where mm-hmm. are the consequences for any of them? Right. And in many cases, like Louis C.K., they're making a comeback. Right. And I think that that's, awful right I don't <laughs> I think it's awful I, I, I completely agree yeah it's it, and, it, and especially like you know when I think about the situation between um Dr. Ford and Brett Kavanaugh like she has spent much of her life thinking about this and fearing this and having to work through it and talking to therapists and going through this whole thing he probably I mean I don't even think he understands if like what he did and I know they're allegations, but wait, are you there? Have I lost you? Okay. (laughs) Um, I, so he, you know, that was when they were 15 and now I don't know how old he is now, but he's thinking about that now for the first time. And that has haunted her for all of these years. And that just is so unfair. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's devastating and the lack of consequences or in the case of, you know, so they get jobs even after this has come out or they get opportunities even after these, after these women have risked everything to come forward. Um, What it perpetuates is that women's stories don't matter and that our experiences are not valued. Right. And that is unacceptable. And it's it's a narrative and it's a practice in our society that we're going to have to continue to fight against. And we are both working on it. (laughs) We are. Women, I think, you know, I just think of the incredible work women are doing every single day. I know women who have started nonprofits. I know women who have upped their volunteer hours. Mm -hmm. I know women who start creative endeavors, uh, like podcasts and movies (laughs) and all of these exciting things. And I think that there are really great things being done by and for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you're having trouble connecting to a community or you're having trouble, you know, finding those places that are, can give you a sense of hope, create it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I never would have dreamed that I'd get to work on something like dream girl. And it was just an idea Aaron had in her living room. Right. And, she and then you movie. found a flyer. And then I found a flyer and it's like of all places, like this is amazing. And I think that, you know, women, we are creative, we are resilient, we are powerful. And I think that if there's something that you wish existed in the world, you should make it because now is the time it is needed now more than ever. And it will change someone's life to see your work. I think that is an excellent place to end this episode. (laughs) 
I love it. Oh. Well, this has been like so restorative and refreshing after a work week to wrap up by doing this and just thinking about these things. And I really appreciate your optimism and positivity about some of the things we talk about because I feel like I tend to go dark sometimes. And we do, we need that positivity and optimism to propel us forward. Yeah, we don't need to become ostriches and put our heads in the yes. sand and say it's good enough. Like, let's move forward. No, always keep fighting, always keep connecting. Um, and I think that, you know, podcasts like this, conversations like this um, are what's going to, to heal us all. And women are women are going to inherit the earth. So that is <laughs> going to happen. Laura Dern premonitioned that oh. in Jurassic Park. So. I remember I saw that movie in theaters when I was like seven and I still was like, yeah. <laughs> I remember, I, like, I heard the line and I was like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And I was like, I can't really process what that means right now, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> All right. Well, Diana, thank you so much for being my guest today on like, Womankind. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. And <laughs> Keep on creating these awesome conversations. It's so important. And you too. And now tell my listeners again where they can find Dream Girl and Beaver Talk. So you can find Dream Girl uh, at Dream Girl Film, and you can find Beaver Talk wherever you get your podcasts, or you can follow uh, Feminist Wednesday on Instagram. Great. Thank you. And if you're looking for Womankind, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Womankind Podcast. You can find me on my website at www.womankindpodcast.com or email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye, friends.